I'm back. Welcome in the fan check down. Matt Marchese here after a sabbatical yesterday. Donovan Bennett across the table for me right here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, Donovan, I did listen. Uh, I did listen to the beginning of the show yesterday on the podcast. Just a little bit. Why? Um, just because it's our show. This is kind of our baby here. Um, and I wanted to see how it was when you were hosting. And, you know, I learned something from you. Oh, boy. Oh, no. And it was something that I should be doing and saying, if you're listening to this, not live, but in podcast form, leave us a like, favorite, tweet it out to your friends, tell everybody, leave us a note, all that stuff, wherever you get your podcast. So just shamelessly asking people to do things is what you learned from me? That's what you're telling me? Yeah, but it's, it's something you should be doing as a host. You should be doing that. We got to be promoting this thing because it's wonderful. And I missed it yesterday. We missed you. Mm. Did you? You talk, I heard you had a breaking basketball story. We did. Thank God it wasn't me in here. We did. It, it, you know what happened is, I don't know if you've seen this before, but losing the big piece, all of a sudden people are upset on the sidelines, arguing. People are going back saying, oh, did he say he can't host? That was that we're reading lips. It was just a disaster. And <laughs> uh, the version of our Robert Sala had to step in front of the room and say, hey, you know what? We have full confidence in Donovan. There Even you go. Everyone knew it was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Are you comparing yourself to Zach Wilson? I'm comparing this show oh. to the New York Jets. I, I, neither is good. Neither is a good comparison. <laughs> uh, speaking of sideline squabbles, I mean... When the guy who's not even quarterbacking the team has to make a comment on it, then you know things aren't going well. Derek, we have the, the clip right here. Let's, let's hear this. This is Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. This is what teams have to go through. You know, there, there's, there's adversity points in every season. This year it's happening early and people are coming, coming for us. Uh, and there's, you know, some uh, – heated conversations on the sideline and different things. I think we need to hold our poise a little bit better across the, uh, really just offensively. You know, we need to, uh, uh, to not have some of those things happen on the, on the sideline and, and to be a little better and to be a little, uh, uh, just be a little better competitors. You know, we need to understand this is part of it. It's not always going to be pretty. The most important thing is winning. You saw what happened in Green Bay. They were down 17 nothing and came back and won that game, an ugly game, 18-17. It doesn't f-ing matter. It's like you win the game, that's the most important thing. However, you got to get it done. So, you know, there's been, I think, too many little side conversations, and we just need to grow up a little bit um, on offense and, and lock in and do our jobs, everybody, and not point fingers at each other, and that's everybody. You know, we don't point fingers at the coaching staff. Don't point fingers at each other. Just get back to work and get the job done. Well, to say that Aaron Rodgers notices a thing or two on that sideline would be an understatement. But I like how he went like, you know, we all need to be competitors. Well, we need to be better competitors on offense because that would be the most obvious statement ever. And it would be very foolish to suggest that the defense hasn't been doing their job because they've been fine. Offense, not so much. Is he telling that to Joe Namath? <laughs> well, that's where this all stemmed from was Joe Namath basically saying, like, get this guy out of here. He sucks. And now Aaron Rodgers, he, there, there's even a part of that clip at the end where Aaron Rodgers says, you know, and even the alumni basically need to shut up. 
Uh, he was talking about you, Broadway Joe. The thing is, Joe Namath is around. So I was at uh, CBC earlier today. They had a Sports U event where there was a panel for aspiring journalists. And one of the lessons. Did you tell them to go into law school? No. You should have. Become an investment banker. Just watch your money yeah, grow. Yeah, hedge fund manager. One of the lessons is don't say anything about someone that you wouldn't say to their face. Because as you know, in our industry, lots of people just say things for clicks and whatnot. And don't go down to the ballpark to see that person. Or just if they saw them in person, wouldn't keep the same energy. Joe Namath is around. He's always at practice. He's always at the facility. I feel like he would say that to Zach Wilson's face. But, he has no shame, that man. But the thing is, the problem is, and we've talked about this before, the eye in the sky does not lie. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what players say on the sidelines. It doesn't matter what Joe Namath says in the media. It doesn't matter what, fact, in fact, Aaron Rodgers says in the media. We all put the tape on and watch the tape. And the tape tells you the story. And Zach Wilson's tape tells you that he ranks dead last in pass rating this season. He, he could become the first player. You can't even keep a straight face when you're he reading He can it. become the first player in NFL history to be dead last in pass rating for three consecutive seasons. Wow. I'm actually kind of, well, I mean, if you're bad for two years, you probably don't get a shot the third year. This is the point. And yeah. they tried not to give him a shot. They tried to move oh, yeah. on. They tried twice, actually, because there's the reports out there that they also tried to get Matthew Stafford. Aaron Rodgers was not the only one, which, again, leads us to believe they they don't believe in this guy. So... Trevor Simeon, we're not going to go down that road again. We did that already. I think Zach Wilson needs a change of scenery. Speaking mm-hmm. of post-game comments, after last year, when he literally threw a game away and in front of assembled media, he said that he did not feel bad that the team lost <laughs> based on the fact that the defense had played so well. Let someone else say it's a team game. Let someone else say we all win and lose as a team. Not that guy. You, as a quarterback, who, again, for those scoring at home, could become the first player in NFL history who essentially is the worst at their job. Yeah. You you can't do that. So I think that whole room is tired and done with it. And it'd be one thing if he put better tape out there and he had a new lease on life and he learned some lessons from Aaron Rodgers. But when you look like the same player, getting the same results, you understand why... That group is like, we've seen this movie before. We're not sitting through this again, wasting the prime of our careers. I wonder, I wonder how maybe quickly they try and get Aaron Rodgers on the sideline in New York to kind of help mentor Zach Wilson, like during the game. Yes, he's hurt. He's out for the year, whatever. Put him on one of those little scooters where he puts his leg up, doesn't have to worry about that. I mean, I don't even know if that's what you do for uh, for an Achilles injury. But I do wonder how quickly the, that's going to happen because he talked about the sideline squabbles and he talked about how he didn't like that. We saw Michael Carter go at the running back coach. We saw Garrett Wilson get fired up on the sidelines with Zach Wilson and and Nathaniel Hackett. And allegedly say he can't throw. I don't know if that's what he said. I'm not a good 
lip reader, but there are many people out there who have played I got to see this clip. I'm very who, good at that. Who have said, he said he can't throw. Well, I mean, that would be the most obvious statement. Like, I think we all know that. It's kind of like the Jets saying, Zach Wilson is still our guy. We believe in Zach Wilson. We all know that that's BS. We can see it. We can also see that Zach Wilson can't throw very well. And he's killing Garrett Wilson's fantasy value, by the way. Oh, oh, I know. Uh, yeah, you and me both. Um, I, I really like Garrett Wilson. I don't really like him a lot with Zach Wilson. Anyway, they're going to be one and three after this week. Do you think... I don't. I doubt Aaron Rodgers. Although maybe he's going to be very interested in going to the game because Taylor Swift's there. Maybe he's a big Swifty. But do you think we see Aaron Rodgers on the sideline with the New York Jets this year? No. Well, I mean this year, sure. This week, no. One, I'm not sure Aaron Rodgers is even in the country. What we know about him. By the way, on Pat McAfee, on his Chiron thing, do you know what it says? What? Ayahuasca enthusiast, which is fantastic. Of course. Anyway, continue. If he has anything, it's a sense of humor. We know that Aaron Rodgers is not one that's just going to sit back and say, oh, traditional Western medicine, do your work. He's going to go and he's going to look for a solution. He's going to be in Germany talking to the same doctors that Kobe and Dirk Nowitzki famously uh, talked to he's going to essentially and he has the means either fly people in or fly out to take some alternative routes to getting back on the field as quick as possible i think he might be back on the sidelines this year trying to play i don't know how prudent it would be but i think he'll push that envelope i don't think he's going to be on the sidelines this week i don't even if he was i don't know if he can help because he can't take the field This, this is and, and we talked about the fact that the Jets have had some offensive line issues, shuffling guys around. Their pick in Beckton might be a bust at this point. So let's just use a neutral setting. Mm-hmm. When there is zero pass rush wins against Zach Wilson, do you want to know what his numbers are? I, I do want to know. Get comfortable. I'm his QBR is 7.6. That is last. His completion percentage is 52%. That is last. His yards per drop back is 4.929. For context, the average QBR when there are zero pass rush wins is 70.3. Ten times. <laughs> ten times better than his. His completion percentage in his career is 54.9%. That is not good enough to win at the NFL level. It's it, it, Remember when it used to be good when you were in the 60s? Now... It's good when you're in the 70s. That he sounds like Troy Aikman's completion percentage, actually. Troy Aikman has three Super Bowls, okay? And a couple Emmys. How about we? Troy Aikman. How about we put some Troy, respect on his name? Troy Aikman's numbers are like Joe Flacco's. Well, actually, Joe Flacco has better numbers. Well, he's got three rings, and Flacco has one. So is Joe Flacco getting to the Hall of Fame? Joe Flacco would be better than Zach Wilson well, right now in this offense. The corpse of Joe Flacco would be better than Zach Wilson right now. Shout out Joe Flacco. Okay, we got to move on. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks... Um, so Jameis Winston's getting the start this week. Derek Carr's hurt the throwing shoulder. Not great. Uh, Derek Carr calls him a starter in this league. 10 of 16, 101 yards, no TDs, no interceptions last week in relief against the Packers, who we will talk about later in the show ahead of the Thursday nighter. If he shows well before Derek Carr comes back, do you think teams make a call? Knowing what we know about Jameis Winston is that 
Well, he has the tendency to get very erratic. He, he can throw a lot of interceptions. But if he shows out well, do you think a team like the New York Jets looks at it and goes, you know what? We should make a call. And if you're the Saints, knowing what you know about Derek Carr and being a slightly above average quarterback, maybe just average, do you listen? Yes and yes. It would be malpractice if you don't. Does Jameis Winston have the propensity to go 30 for 30 on you and give you 30 TDs and 30 interceptions? Sure he does. Will he throw some fun balls for no apparent reason? For sure. But you know what he can do? He can get hot and win you a game or two or three. Zach Wilson has not shown you the ability to get hot in the same way. So certainly, uh, physically, Jameis Winston can do it. And more than anything, it would give some energy to that room, to that locker room, to that sideline, which is one of the major issues. It would give them some hope. So, yes, I think so. And if you're the Saints, what do you care? Get some pick capital back in return for a player who, if all things go well, you're hoping to not have to use? Well, the only thing that I'm thinking is, if you are the Saints, if you think that you are good enough, for what a Super Bowl run? I'm just, or a then you're deep playoff run. Delusional. Well, okay. Delusion aside, the New York Jets are delusional too. But my point is, is that if you believe that you can get there, which I'm sure the Saints believe that they can get there, because everybody believes that they can get there when they're two and one. Do you take that risk? Do you? Because yes. because James would be one of the better backups if. No, I wouldn't say the best backup, but he would be one of the better backups in the league. Yes, because let's play out the game theory, and we'll continue down your road of delusion. I if live. In, you, I live in a world. Of, I like to swim in the pool of truth every once in a while. Okay, well, let's let's bring it back to the deep end. <laughs> if you think by some way you, as an organization in New Orleans, is a Super Bowl ready team right now, which again, I question. If you do, the only way that's the case is if Derek Carr is healthy and playing his best football. So if you need Jameis later, guess what? You're not a Super Bowl contender anyways. Mm -hmm. So you might as well move on. What's the difference between if you got stuck in a scenario and you needed someone to play for a series or a quarter? Is the Taysom Hill experiment... That much worse Ugh. than Jameis? Well, they don't even let the guy throw. He's a tight end in a quarterback's body or something like that. Remember when Sean Payton basically said he's the next incarnation of Steve Young? And they held on to him forever because he was going to be a quarterback in waiting? Do we do we not do we have any information if that is Sean Payton's illegitimate child? Like, do we know that? Because that's what it felt like for the longest time. Anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about QBs later on in the show because the Raiders have a QB problem among so many other things. Apparently, uh, they might have a QB problem as well, but, uh, to preview the Thursday nighter from the Detroit side of things, uh, Colton Pouncey from the athletic joins Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett here on the fan checkdown. Colton, how are you today? 
Doing good, guys. How you guys doing? We're good. Uh, it's a fun matchup tonight. Uh, every time there's a divisional game on a Thursday night, you you I mean, we pay attention anyway, but you pay a little bit more attention. And in this case, uh, two teams that won in the Lions that thought they would be where they are. The Packers may be a little bit more surprising, but you know, Detroit comes into this one on the heels of a, a nice little win over the Falcons, uh, where the defense I thought was was very good. Uh, what's been the biggest improvement? in the last calendar year with this defense after they started out so horribly last year? Yeah, to me, it's a couple of things. Um, the improvement in the second they've added, um, you know, CJ Gardner Johnson was a big offseason signing. Um, you know, he's sort of this do-it-all versatile piece. Unfortunately, he's going to miss some time with the, with the torn pack, but um, they've got some other dudes that, are, that have been stepping up, you know, in his absence. You know, Brian Branch, the rookie from Alabama, he's really been sort of this linchpin of the defense. You know, he can – cover tight ends and receivers um, from the slot position, but he can also hit and tackle like a linebacker. So he sort of gives you both elements um, of the defense playing that nickel spot uh, for the Lions this year. Um, got Cam Sutton, the cornerback on the outside that we signed from the Steelers in free agency. Um, he's kind of solidified that spot. The Lions secondary was sort of a mess last year. So whenever you can add a couple guys there to kind of, you know, calm the storm, solidify things a little bit, I think you're, you're feeling better about the defense at whole. Um, and then I think linebacker Derek Barnes, uh, you know, the run defense was a real issue for the Lions last year. And um, he was a guy that drafted in 2021, the fourth round, but he wasn't really ready early on. Coaches were talking about him all offseason, about a guy that can kind of take the step forward. He's doing just that. He's been excellent against the run. Um, you know, he got a sack in the last game. So they're kind of using him on the edge a little bit too. So, you know, some versatility from this defense that we weren't seeing a year ago and some younger guys are starting to step up. Uh, one of those younger guys, Jack Campbell, the first-round pick this year from Iowa. Um, he's, they're kind of easing him into life, into the NFL so far. Uh, they've used him in different spots, but where do you think they get the most out of him in the middle of that defense? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, when he was drafted, I'm like, oh, you're, you're drafting a stack linebacker, 18th overall. Of course, he's going to be a starter for you, but, you know, linebackers coach Kevin Shepard told us they're going to play the best guys, and if he's not ready, he's not ready. But he has looked ready, to be honest with you. It's just the fact that they have Derek Barnes stepping up. Alex Anzalone is a trusted starter and a veteran in the middle of that defense. So they're trying to find other ways to get him on the field. And I think one thing that they kind of figured out last week against the Falcons was we can play him at the same linebacker spot, which is kind of the hybrid role in their defense. So he can rush the pass around some, top, some downs. You know, they had him on the edge at times. I think he played 19 snaps there last week, which is a lot for a guy that didn't do that in college. But I think they see some untapped potential there. And the other role for that Sam linebacker spot is to drop back in coverage, and that's something that he excelled at in college. So they're kind of using him as this you know, hybrid linebacker in their defense, which is something that like we didn't really see a ton of in training camp, but um, they clearly have seen something in him to make them feel comfortable putting him out there, and you know, he's kind of excelling at it so far this season. Speaking of players who they've drafted and transitioned to the pros, everyone was so excited about you know potentially having a big-time running back but you end up with also a big time tight end and sam laporta this is now three years in a row that the lions and it's early it's you know three weeks but it looks like the lions have crushed the draft uh the best players on this team are some of the youngest ones what has laporta and the group of young players brought to the offense yeah, you know, for, I guess going back to April, a lot of people didn't love what the Lions did in the draft, but their whole goal was to get, you know, impact starters right away with those picks early. So you trade down from six, you miss out on a guy like Jalen Carter, but you pick up Gibbs, a player that you love a lot. 
Um, Brad Holmes said he was ready to take him at six overall if he didn't trade down. So he got him at 12 and then picked up the 34th overall pick, which ended up turning into the same quarter. And now you've got these two guys to help your offense to kind of prevent regression. Um, you know, last year they were top five in scoring. They wanted to maintain that. And when they did, that was getting those two guys in the mix. Um, and so speaking about LaPorta specifically, I mean, he's been everything they've wanted from the position. You know, obviously they traded T.J. Hawkinson last year. That, to me, always said, you know, they didn't want to pay T.J. the money that would take kind of reset the market, which is what he wanted and end up getting. Um, so from their perspective, it didn't mean they didn't value the tight ends at all. It just meant, hey, we're going to get our own guy in here, get him on a rookie contract, and he's going to come in here and produce. And that's what Sam Laporte has been able to do right away. Um, I think he ranks first among all tight ends in receiving yards this year, second in catches through three games. He's breaking a bunch of, you know, early records through three games for a tight end. So uh, he's been everything they've wanted and more. So it's been cool to kind of see him uh, progress in the NFL so far. In many ways, Goff has been everything they've wanted and more. Sometimes we put a moniker on a QB that they're a system QB, and it's almost like it's a swear word. But when you look around the league, there's a bunch of offenses who wish they had a QB that just could run their system. How important has Goff been as a steadying hand on that offense and that team? Yeah, he's been the key to it all. I mean, there are system quarterbacks, and then there are you know guys that you build around as as a system. And I think that's what the Lions have done with Goff. You know, he has a great relationship with Ben Johnson, the offense coordinator out here, who's a, a very bright mind, and he's going to get a chance to be head coach someday soon. Um, but those two have a great relationship. They talk about plays. They've taken stuff that worked well for him in L.A. with the Rams and have brought him to Detroit to make him feel as comfortable as possible in this offense. And it seems to be working. I mean, last year he was one of the better quarterbacks in the league, made, made the Pro Bowl, uh, gotten off to a, a good start this year. And, you know, he's playing confident football. He's not really turning the ball over a ton. He's making smart decisions getting it out to his playmakers. He's got a good offensive line in place. So they've surrounded him with enough talent to compete and, and win some games here, and I think he's thriving because of it. Colton Pouncey from The Athletic joining Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett here on the fan checkdown. Um, you know, another piece of that offense is Jameer Gibbs, and last week totaled 17 carries with David Montgomery out. Only had two targets. He had the one catch. Uh, it, Montgomery is expected to be back in the lineup tonight. Uh, after missing last week with the thigh injury, how do you think they deploy the two backs? Because we saw in week one, you know, Jameer Gibbs had a couple of really nice runs and explosive plays. And, you know, David Montgomery kind of plodded along up the middle of the field, which is fine because there's a role for both of them. But how do you do you think that this is very kind of game dependent between how these guys are used each and every week? I do, and that's that's exactly what I was going to say. It, it really seems like it's going to depend on the flow of the game. Um, week one, you know, he only got nine touches, I believe, but one, the Lions are trying to bring him along slowly, and that's something Dan Campbell said after the game. And two, when you're, you know, it was a close game in the fourth quarter, they wanted to probably keep Pat Mahomes off the field a little bit. In a situation like that, you probably rely on a bruiser, the guy's going to get you the tough yards between the tackles. And for the Lions right now, that's David Montgomery. Um, but if they are trailing in some games in the fourth quarter and you need a pass catching back up there, I think that's where you turn to Gibbs. Um, so I do think there's room for both these guys to kind of feast on this offense. Uh, you know, both guys have, you know, their own strengths and weaknesses, but I think the Lions kind of view them as co-starters and two guys that can produce uh, on field together even. Um, we've seen that a couple of times. So I think they'll get creative as the season goes on, but probably early on still trying to ease Gibbs into the mix a little bit. Talk to me about, how the fan base is feeling, how the the city, the state is feeling. You have a dream start week one after there's so much hype, and then you come back to earth a little bit. There's lots of 
Canadian Lions fans all across you know, the Michigan border, but what is the state of the emotions with the fan base given how up and down the team has been to start? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a roller coaster. Like, I don't, sometimes I, I joke that they don't know how to handle themselves if they actually have a good team. Because uh, going into the season, there's a lot of, ex, you know, excitement, high expectations, but also I think for some, this, like, uneasy feeling that we've seen this movie before, we've had expectations before, and they've let us down. So after the Chiefs game, they're all riding high, feeling good about themselves. You know, we're going 17-0. And then they have to let down the next week against the Seahawks, and it was like, we're, we're a joke again, you know. So there is some, like, highs and lows with this fan base that you just got to ride it out with. But, you know, when you win some games, you string along some, some wins here, I think that's how you capture the fan base and convince them that you're a good team for the course of the season. And that's on the Lions to do that. Um, you know, they didn't make the playoffs last year. They went 9-8, and eight, so they still have some things to prove. But I do think they're on the right track, and this fan base is <laughs> largely behind them, even though it's some roller coaster sometimes. I like how you put it as a roller coaster because last year, the way things started, we're watching this and going, man, this defense sucks. Like, they can't stop a nosebleed. But the <laughs> offense is so good, and, and they're, you know, bordering on elite the way that they put up points when – you know, they didn't have Jamison Williams and DeAndre Swift missed a bunch of time and they turned Jamal Williams into a touchdown machine and Jared Goff looked great. I I wonder about this fan base maybe trying to get excited but also temper expectations because like you said, they've been there before. They've seen it. But over the course of the calendar year and maybe even just let's say over the last eight months with how they finished – do you think that there's more the belief that this team is closer to a championship than further from a championship? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, you know, the last 10, 13 games, I think they've won 10 of those. So they've kind of gone this run here and have captured some people along the way. And, you know, I guess a lot of fans that have been watching for the last, you know, 50 plus years know that the Lions have let them down historically and maybe they're somewhat guarded because of that. And, hey, that's understandable. You got to go out and you got to prove it. It's been three games so far this season. But, I do think they're on their way. Um, I think this year, probably the goal for them is just to win the NFC North and then see what happens in the playoffs. And I think next year you could probably have some more, you know, more of the Super Bowl conversations if they continue adding to this roster and the core that they've built. So uh, baby steps here, but uh, I do like the progress they're making. So uh, with Jared Goff, you know, when that trade was made, Donovan and I have had this conversation. When that trade was made, it, it, Jared Goff was basically the throw-in to make the money work. It was all about the draft picks. It was never going to be about Jared Goff. They were going to draft his replacement. And, and some people may have even believed, and, and I do believe in Hendon Hooker, but I don't know that he is the, the replacement right now for Jared Goff. He's got one year left on his contract. And we've seen guys like Daniel Jones get paid, where Jared Goff has an actual track record in the NFL. Do you think that Jared Goff extension is on the top of the to-do list for this Lions front office and do you believe that he is going to end up being among the, you know, top five or six highest paid players in the league when it's all said and done? Yeah, you know, that's a big question here that people keep, I guess, putting off a little bit. Um, you know, is golf your guy long term? Um, you know, I think he's shown just the past couple of years that he can be a guy that you can win with. Um, but obviously another franchise determined that he wasn't that guy and that, um, you know, he couldn't get them over the top to ultimately win a Super Bowl. Um, so that's going to be the question. I, I think for the Lions right now, this is a franchise that hasn't won a playoff game since the 1991 season. So I think they're just more focused on winning one and then having that conversation later on. But 
you know, I think Brad Holmes, the GM out here, did say that uh, they've had some internal conversations about an extension. And I would imagine if, you know, the season goes according to plan and maybe they win a playoff game, they'll find a way to keep them around because you don't want to lose that momentum right when you're starting to build it up. Um, but it is a question, you know, is, is golf the guy? Can you um, give him that much of the cap space, however much it's going to take to kind of keep him around? He's going to be happy. Can you do a Geno-type deal where it's a shorter-term, uh, high-value, you know, one of those deals maybe? I'm not really sure what it looks like, but I would imagine they try to keep him around just because they're starting to build something here. Yeah, they really are. Uh, I had them pick to win the division, and I still feel pretty confident in that. But it's going to go a long way tonight uh, if they can beat the Packers, especially on the road in Green Bay. Colton, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. There he goes. Colton Pouncey from The Athletic covers the Detroit Lions. And... There's one thing about the Lions. Remember there was a time where you couldn't watch Lions football just because it was so bad? And now they've become, I don't want to say appointment viewing, but pretty close to it if you're talking about excitement and a team in the NFL. And they're just a lot of guys that you like, yeah, that you want to watch, whether they're exciting like Gibbs or just have a great story like Amon Ra does and how many and he's great well he is great but how many teams overlooked him and the fact that he literally has every team that didn't draft him memorized Goff, this is his second lease at life and he's making the most of it they're a fun fun team with with guys who whether it's Hutchinson or Campbell just run around and get to the football have a lot of fun doing it and then obviously on the sidelines they have a guy who if he could, would put on a helmet and shoulder pads and play uh, in Dan Campbell. They're a lovable group. Uh, do you want to know? Who, do you know who's on the, the Amon Ross St. Brown list? Of players that were taken before him? Mm-hmm. I, yep. I, I do want to know. Okay. Uh, and then we'll take a break. This 2021, Amon Ross St. Brown was taken in the fifth round. Fifth fifth round. Crazy. Don't forget. Uh, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, pretty good, Devonta pretty good. Smith. Pretty good. Kadarius... Stony hands. Oh boy. Rashad Bateman. Oh boy. Elijah Moore. Getaway ad on my computer. Uh Rondell Moore. Dwayne Eskridge. Tutu Atwell, who's actually been really good. Terrace Marshall Jr. Josh Palmer. Shout out Brampton's Josh Palmer. Deami Brown, Amari Rogers, Nico Collins, Anthony Schwartz, and Des Fitzpatrick. There's um two guys on that list that I would take over. Amon Ross St. Brown right now. Chase and mm-hmm. Waddle. Who's after that again? Devontae Smith. It's cl- I, I still take Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't even know if I take Waddle, to be honest. It's close. I, I, it's not, I, like, I mean, I think I would, but it's not like, so it's such an egregious line that I couldn't be swayed one way or another. Amon Ra, when healthy, puts up Cooper Cup-like numbers. Back-to-back 102-yard games. He had like 70-something in the first game, and it's like, oh, my God, he's human. Well, he's he's shown in the last two he's not that human. Um, so that'll be fun from the, from the Detroit side of things tonight. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Ryan Wood uh, covers the Packers for USA Today. will join us, and we'll look at the 2-1 Green Bay Packers after a fairly impressive comeback against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, that all when we come back. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett, right here on the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you. Oh, yeah, I forgot. If you're listening live, but if you're downloading the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, like it, follow it, retweet it, leave a comment, all that's all that good stuff. Did I get it right, Donovan? Oh, you got it right. Okay, excellent. All right, uh, we're going to look at the Thursday nighter from the Green Bay side of things. And in a very interesting side, it is. Ryan Wood covers the Packers for USA Today, joins us on the line. Ryan, how are you today? Doing good. How are you? We're good. I mean, it's Thursday. There's football. We can't really complain. Uh, there would be nothing to complain about, actually. Um, and there, and you know what? It really feels like in Green Bay, there's not much to complain about. Uh, two and one after an impressive comeback win last week. Um, Jordan Love didn't look great in the first half and then really kind of put things together, considering uh, the banged up skill position group that he has. Uh, no Christian Watson last week, Aaron Jones as well. Uh, maybe both guys go tonight. Um, how much do you think that they open things up with those two guys back? Because it's not like we're talking about two fringe players. We're talking about two very, very good players. Uh, Aaron Jones, who's excellent in the past game and, and can't be any worse than AJ Dillon's been, uh, the last couple weeks. Um, and Christian Watson's a fantastic receiver. What, how do you think the game plan changes with those two guys being healthy or healthier? Yeah, those are his two best players, which really underscores how impressive the first three games have been for Jordan Love because anytime you've got a new starting quarterback full-time, you, you want to be, be surrounded with talent. You want to be surrounded with, with things that are going to make him successful. That means having your playmakers on the field. He hasn't had that. Christian Watson's his best receiver. He's the big threat, the big play threat in, in this offense. He hasn't been there for three games. Aaron Jones is the engine to this offense. His week one performance against the Chicago Bears – he had a buck 25, two touchdowns on 11 touchdowns. That, that's what Aaron Jones is as a receiver on the backfield. And in reality, there is no running game right now without Aaron Jones, which for a new starting quarterback, what's a young quarterback's best friend, the running game. There is no running game without Aaron Jones. So for Jordan Love to do what he's done so far and to not be maximally set up for success because his two best players are around him. It's, it's been impressive. Yeah. Getting them back tonight, you know, Christian Watson, it, it, it might take time, to see max value because he is the deep threat. The one thing we haven't seen Jordan love do yet is consistently hit on his vertical throws. It might take time there, but just having that kind of speed on the field, it keeps the defense honest. It helps the running game because you're stretching the defense vertically. Uh, having those guys back will, will make a world of difference. Well, when I watched Jordan love, he looks so comfortable and confident and we're having a referendum on how you raise essentially a young talented QB in the league because there's have been some spectacular failures and the Packers seem to do it right time after time after time. How helpful has it been for love in that group? One that he's been around for a bit and the locker room knows him, but two, so much of the group he's leading is young is his age or younger than him. That gives him that authority in the locker room and in the huddle. Yeah, Matt LaFleur said it this week. You want your quarterback to be one of the guys, first and foremost. You want him to fit in, and that really galvanizes the locker room. And we've seen that carry out onto the field. I think about this. Jordan Love's final college season at Utah State, he threw 17 interceptions. That was a big knock on him coming out of the draft. Tremendous athlete, great arm talent, but will be careless with the football. 17 interceptions his final college season through three games this year, seven touchdowns 
and one interception. He's taken tremendous care of the football, almost like he had three years to sit behind and, and learn from the, the best quarterback ever at taking care of the football, the highest interception to touchdown ratio of all time. And Aaron Rodgers, you can see that influence with how poised he is, how, how deliberate he is with, with where he throws. It's very clear he's got a, a firm grasp of the offense. Uh, he'll take a check down. If, if there's free yards there, he, he, he won't force something. He'll take what the defense is giving him. And that's, that's a really promising sign for a young guy because, you know, it can go the other way. You can have a young quarterback come in and want to, to prove right off the bat that he can make every throw and put the whole offense on his back and make some bad decisions. Jordan Love is not making bad decisions. The poise in, inside the pocket, knowing when to get outside the pocket, use his legs, that's been very evident. It's a good building place for him to grow from. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers, and I just wonder this year, how different is the vibe, both for the assembled media, for the team? Don't have to worry about issues with the front office or having to stare at someone's foot during a press conference. <laughs> what are the vibes like for everybody going to work this year in comparison to what it's been the last couple of years? Yeah, I will officially say that I've seen uh, 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 barefoot too many times in my career at this point. So that's that's been a nice change. Uh, look, Adam Sinovich, the offensive coordinator, said it himself that, that this team is so young. It's the youngest team in the NFL, and they've got like 15 rookies on their team. Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson are the veterans at the receiver room. They played half the snaps last year as rookies. They're in their second year. That's how young this team is. Adam Sinovich said, this group doesn't have scars yet. You know, I, look at last week, for example, 17 nothing down in the fourth quarter. That's a game that you, 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 you don't win that game. You have no business winning that game. When it's 17 nothing in the fourth quarter, that game is over. But veterans, they, they might know that. They might have accumulated those scars. A, a team full of rookies, they, they don't know better. They just go out there and they play until the final whistle. And that's what they did. They messed around and ended up scoring 18 points in the fourth quarter and, and coming back from 17 down. That that's youth, and youth can be a good thing. It's a young man's league. Youth usually prevails, and to, you know, kind of have a, a bit of blissful ignorance is, is not always a bad thing in this league. Ryan Wood covers the Packers for USA Today, joining Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett here on the Fan Checkdown. Um, I wanted to talk about the play calling a little bit because offensive play calling that is. Have we seen a little bit of an expanded playbook here with Matt LaFleur, with Jordan Love as the quarterback? Because, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure, had a lot of say in what was going on uh, with the play calling. Maybe, you know, I, I don't want to say they couldn't get super creative because Aaron Rodgers has the skill set to do basically anything that you want a quarterback to do. But have you seen a different Matt LaFleur with a, a younger quarterback and and maybe someone who's willing to try a, to be a little bit different maybe than he was with Aaron Rodgers? I think it's more what you're not seeing. You're not seeing a quarterback change the play call before the snap of the line of scrimmage, which Aaron Rodgers had full autonomy to do. And that's not a bad thing. Aaron Rodgers played two decades in this league. He's got four MVPs. If he sees a look that is a bad look for the playbook and what the call is on the field, you, you don't want him to just line up and snap the football into that look. You, you want him to have that autonomy. But Jordan Love, he, he, he's not changing the place of the line of scrimmage. He's getting the call from in his headset from Matt LaFleur, and he's running it. And I think that you're seeing Matt LaFleur have a lot of fun. Uh, he's had trick play. He opened week two in Atlanta with a flea flicker. The first fourth down 
last week against the Saints, they pitch it to Emmanuel Wilson, who then laterals it back, kind of a bounce pass, which is good in basketball, not so good in this situation, bounced it to Jordan Love. But Jordan Love, if it, wasn't a, if it was a good lateral, he had Dontavian Wicks wide open down the field for, to, to complete the fourth down. Instead of just going straight ahead between the tackles, it's fourth and one. They, they go with a trick play. He's kind of emptying the playbook, and it, it, it just it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like, like the, the play caller's having fun, and that's an extension, extends – to the players on the field. When the play caller is having fun, young players are going to have fun too. Uh, one more for, for the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Jaden Reed. Second rounder out of Michigan State, primarily played the slot this year, uh, especially, you know, consider, you know, for a guy that really didn't play the majority of the slot snaps at Michigan State, he was more of a 50-50 guy and, and was a, you know, a slot guy at Western Michigan before he transferred over. Two-parter, how would you think he's fared so far in that role? And what do you think the role looks like with Christian Watson back? Because he, he got some looks. Romeo Dobbs was the lead guy. But, you know, between him and, and Luke Musgrave, they kind of split the opportunities, as it were. How do you think his role changes with uh, with Watson back tonight? It it doesn't change. You're going to see Christian Watson in the perimeter of the field. You're going to see Jaden Reed in the slot. And it's, it's kind of amazing to think that he didn't, play full-time slot at Michigan State because he he looks every part the slot receiver the ideal classic lineup in the middle field lateral quickness tremendous route runner for a rookie and he gets off the line of scrimmage very well and you've seen him produce through three games he's not just a slot receiver he's a punt returner and his first game against the Chicago Bears back in his hometown of of Chicago he had a 30-yard punt return he had two touchdowns against the Atlanta Falcons week two and then when the Packers were making their 17-point comeback in the fourth quarter against the Saints he had a 30-yard reception down the field. I mean, for a young guy, he has come in, and nothing that he's encountered so far has been too big for him, and he's been a, an integral part of this offense. I'd expect that to only grow because it is only three games, but the, the Packers' preferred passing personnel, when they go 11 personnel with three wide receivers, it's going to be Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs on the perimeter, and Jaden Reed in the slot kind of taking over the, the middle of the field. If someone was just tuning in midway through that and heard you talking before you said Jaden Reed at the end, they may have thought you were talking about Luke Musgrave. And so, <laughs> right. so, so much is made coming into this draft about Dalton Kincaid. He's going to be the transformational tight end. And the tight ends who have looked the best will be the ones playing in this game tonight as rookies. Uh, Laporta and Musgrave, what has his ascension been uh, into this offense as another young player? The Packers have not had a tight end that looks like this, that runs like this with the size, the speed combination since Michael Fenley's career ended in 2013. And it's been a decade that they've been looking for someone to fill that role at that position that can stretch the middle seam with, with, with their vertical route running. And right off the bat, well, I'm talking before the games even began, right after a rookie mini camp, it was very evident Luke Musgrave is different. Matt LaFleur said it himself this spring. Luke Musgrave, he was asked, Luke Musgrave, he, he, he looks like he, he runs a bit different. He, he, Matt LaFleur said he is different. He, he's a different breed at that position than what this team has had. And Matt LaFleur has not wasted any time using him as, as much as he can. We, we've seen him stretch, get behind the secondary down the middle of the field, stretch the defense vertically. And yeah, you know, the Packers fans have, have caught on pretty quickly. His first catch against the Saints on Sunday you heard uh, it sounded like a boo, which was interesting, but it wasn't a boo. It was a loop. The, the loop chant is already out, uh, very much like John Kuhn in the past. So, it, you know, it's, it's 
I think fans are really excited to see an actual tight end that has the so some rare characteristics. And lastly, it hasn't all been positive and amazing vibes with the press uh, conversations. David Bakhtiari, what do we know? What do we not know? When do we expect him to be back? Why has it been a talking point? It just it it seems odd. But but you're there every day. What do you make of the situation? It's uh, it's very problematic. It's it's disturbing. You know, I, I was talking with David Bakhtiari in the locker room at Soldier Field after Week One, and he played 55 snaps and he played well. And that's the thing with David Bakhtiari when the knee allows him to play. He's still David Bakhtiari. He shuts down the blind side like very few in this league. It's just the knee is not allowing him to play. We, I was talking with him in, in Soldier Field. He, he referenced Allen Iverson. I asked, you know, he hadn't practiced two weeks that went into the opener. He was like, how would you feel about practice? He's like, we're still talking about practice. Like, like he, he feels like he doesn't need practice, which at this stage in his career, he doesn't need practice reps to play snaps at a very high level. But what he needs is the need to cooperate, and it's not cooperating, and it's not going to get better. I mean, this is less of an injury, more of a condition at this point that David Bakhtiari has to manage. He's going to miss his third straight game tonight after playing 55 snaps in Chicago, and there's no resolution in sight. This is just going to be standard norm from here on out for David Bakhtiari. Uh, it's it's very problematic. I, it makes you wonder how much longer this can sustain itself because what do they say all the time in the NFL? The best ability is availability. He's not available. And when you're not available, it, it's a big problem. Yeah, and, and David Bakhtiari is a, a big piece of that offense. And, and we kind of saw a little bit of, of how how much he was missed uh, last week. Uh, listen, Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Great stuff. And uh, look forward to chatting with you soon. Awesome. Take care, guys. There he goes. Ryan Wood uh, covers the Packers for USA Today. All right, Donovan, uh, looking ahead to this one here, it's a really fun Thursday night matchup. Curious to see what Jordan Love looks like, you know, with a full complement of weapons. We know what he did against the Bears, but the Green Bay Packers own the Chicago Bears, uh, even with Aaron Rodgers not there. What are you most looking forward to in this game? I think this game's massive. I know it's early, and I know we don't want to overreact. But to me, this is a statement game in terms of who's going to run this division moving forward. People thought there could be a vacancy. Aaron Rodgers moving on. That opens things up for everybody else. And the Vikings have obviously had their success, but they had 11 games that were three points or less last year that broke in their favor. We're seeing the exact opposite from them this year. They return back to who... They really are, and Justin Fields didn't take the step that everyone thought he would when he got a number one wide receiver. The team that really looked like they might threaten in all phases for this division moving forward was the Lions. They finished the year amazingly. They beat the Packers to end the regular season. And so to me, that's what I'm interested in. Who is going to stake their claim as the North running through them moving forward? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. And the one part of of both of these teams is their defenses don't get enough credit. Like the Green Bay defense, when you look at the players that are on that team, it's all, it's all first round picks. It's it's a fantastic group, and they fly under the radar a little bit because everybody wants to talk about both offenses. And in one case, it is talking about Jordan Love maybe in a negative light before the season started. And, you know, is he going to be good enough? Is he, well, he's looked 
the part. I mean, the first half against the Saints, he did not look the part. But he's looked good for 10 of 12 quarters so far. And the other side, Jared Goff has been the same. He's looked very good. But the defense doesn't get a lot of credit there either. I still think this game is going to be somewhat, I mean, high scoring in that, you know, both teams are going to score 20 points. But it's not going to come easy. Like, both of these defenses have some players that you look at and go, that's that's a pretty good group. Yeah, I think the defense, they're hurt. And talking about Green Bay's defense, based off reputation alone. So long they were so scrutinized because they spent so much draft capital on their defense when people were crying out, can you get Aaron Rodgers some wide receiver help? And they didn't, and they didn't, and they didn't. And that defense, to start, wasn't as advertised given how much draft capital they spent on it. Now they've shifted and they've started to give the offense some playmakers. They out and they get a couple wide receivers. They out and they get a tight end. And now that defense is starting to come along and all of a sudden you got a pretty scary football team. What are your pick? What's your pick tonight? Oof. So this, to me, this is a pick em game, but I think two point spread. I think Jordan Love quietly. 18 down in the fourth quarter? Are you kidding me? When your third start this year, fourth overall, I think Jordan Love's playing some good football. I think the Packers win. He has a big day. All right, I'll get these in before the end of the show. Uh, I think the Green Bay Packers win as well. Ooh, we're are on the same page again. So I would be taking uh, the Green Bay Packers on the money line tonight. Uh, I also like Amon Ross St. Brown, 74 and a half receiving yards uh he's 102 the last two games i also like jordan love over one and a half touchdown passes that is plus money uh everybody enjoy the game tonight thanks to Derek behind the glass thank you to donovan across the table uh thank you all for listening have fun tonight for the fan check down matt marchese signing off you've been listening on the sportsnet radio network